You disagree, take the Tyson approach and fight me Whoa, don't slip up or get cut Why not, man? I'm coming for that number one spot All right Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. I am John Ledyard, along with my boss, Taylor Jenkins. How are you today, Taylor? My first live broadcast. My first live (laughs) broadcast with the Pewter Report podcast, and I immediately get bumped up to boss. Love it. Listen, I had to curve you, Scott. I'm sorry, but this is, like Taylor said, it's his first live broadcast, so I had to bring him in. With a grand little introduction, but my real actual boss, Scott Reynolds, also on the show with us. Scott, how are you doing on this Victory Monday? Uh, as long as I'm not demoted anymore, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We got to keep that uh, from happening as we move forward in the show, but uh, we'll have to see what your takes are like on this show. I think that'll be important moving forward uh, for all of us, considering we're coming off a huge box win, 38-10, to 10, pounding a shellacking of the Green Bay Packers that... Man, I think we all kind of got this morning on Monday thinking like this type of win, man. It could be the type that turns the tide uh, for this franchise a little bit. And not only in terms of the caliber of the opponent that they beat, but the way that they did it, I think. Yeah, I, it, when you look at, at the the defense, uh, I, I know we're, we're living in 2020 and maybe that defense wins championships thing doesn't ring as true as it as it once did. You have to have a potent offense now. And, you know, we saw Kansas City win the Super Bowl with just that. At the same time, though, we're seeing kind of a resurgence of of, of the ground game that was evident last year's uh, playoffs with their San Francisco, with the Tennessee Titans running the ball, Baltimore Ravens, obviously. So it, it's not like this Big 12 arena uh, league football style of of, uh, of of offense is is dominating. You still have to have yeah. defense, right? And And right. I think that that when, when it comes down to the playoffs and when it comes down to having have, having a defense matters, it still matters. Especially in the NFC right now. I mean, it, we're going to talk about this more at the end yeah. of the show, but it's not and, something and that it, really happens in the NFC If, right if you're going to have a high potent offense, you got to be able to stop it or at least slow it down to allow your high potent offense to cash in for the victory. Yeah. And I think that with the Buccaneers offense being as explosive as it has been over the last couple of years, even dating back to Dirk Cutter, uh, this is an offense that, that certainly can put points on the board. It's got all sorts of weapons. And now it's got a guy that doesn't turn the ball over in Tom Brady, who is second in the league with 14 touchdown passes, by the way, right. uh, c- coupled with, with a Todd Bowles defense, look out for the Buccaneers. Yeah, absolutely. And and Taylor, one of the things that was said repeatedly, I thought Jamel Dean said it, the team said it since the training camp, really, how important the practice reps that they were going to get together would be, how important the team chemistry that they built during those practice times were going to be. And obviously those times being limited because of COVID in the night in the kind of abbreviated schedule that the NFL's had in the offseason. But we heard it repeated again this past week, Jamel Dean saying they had such a good Thursday practice in particular that it was no surprise to them at all to see it carry over into Sunday's performance and in the game. And then we heard Bruce Arians today on Monday talking about the practices on Thursday and Friday and how he said they've had good practices all along. I'll read you his exact quote, actually, because he had really good things to say just about the practice culture 
um, that the team is kind of is kind of building right now. There's no doubt that is the standard. Knock on wood, we stay healthy and we keep preparing on the practice field. I could have told you last Thursday we were going to play well. We had Thursday and Friday practices that we've never had before. We've had great practices, practices, but there was something special in the air on Thursday and Friday's practices. It's like, what are we going to do this week? Our message is, let's make sure we're doing the same thing every single day this week. So again, I think it just speaks to the culture this team's trying to build, and it's centered around some really strong practices, Taylor, that I think is has carried in over into Sundays. And if they can make that consistent, maybe some of these mistakes go away. Yeah. And I think one of the most important things to remember is you have these key veteran players. You have your JPPs, you have your Tom Brady's. They're the guys that have been in the league for a long time. They've been to Super Bowls. They know what it takes to get there. They know what it takes to win. But even the rest of your veterans on the team, your guys like Levante David, they've never been around a real winning culture like this. And the rest of the mm-hmm. team, when you look at it, it's a lot of either young guys or guys that are just kind of entering their prime, the Chris Godwins, the Mike Evans, who still haven't been around a winning culture. So this is the first time that a lot of these guys, even you know Carlton Davis in his third year, especially the rest of the young cornerbacks, uh, De- Devin White, Levante David, they've never been a part of a winning culture. They've had winning teams. You saw Raheem Morris go 10 and six. You saw Dirk Cutter go nine and seven. But I mean, Scott, did that ever feel like that was truly a winning culture, a winning team? And you can see in the following seasons that it wasn't. It wasn't sustainable. And a lot of them were sort of flash in the pan occurrences. But this is a team that for the first time, probably since 2000, maybe 2003, I don't really know. I was a little young for the vibe coming off of the Super Bowl (laughs) where it was... It wasn't a hope for playoff success. That's the expectation now. And it's not just the expectation inside the building, but it's the expectation from the top down. Tom Brady, every time he steps on the field for a season, it's Super Bowl or bust. So, I mean, that's the culture that's being built. You know Bruce Arians wants to get one as a head coach. That's why he came back to coaching. He didn't just come back because he was bored. So... I think that's the standard that's being set, and it's finally really starting to sink in. It's an easy thing to say, but it's a harder thing to do in practice, to keep that mentality, to play that way. And that's yeah, what I think folks are finally getting around to. I think, I think the thing is, is, you know, you practice, you play like you practice, and you practice like you play. I mean, you, you can't have one without the other. And uh, when I first started back in 1995, when Tony Dungy got here in 1996, the standard was set. Monty Kiffin with that defense. And right before you know it, I mean, 1997, 98, 99, the reason why Trent Dilfer and the Bucks' offense never really did much on Sundays other than score a touchdown or two as, as uh, Tony Dungy's and Monty Kiffin's defense really ruled the day back in, uh, in the, the late 90s. And then when John Gruden came aboard, same thing. The defense was so good that in practice, that Trent Dilfer and the offense struggled throughout the week Nothing worked in practice. So when when they got to the games on Sunday, I mean, that's that's why you didn't see a lot of points because nothing really worked against Warren Sapp and Hardy Nickerson, Derek Brooks, and all that. And when you can when you can get to that that level of dominance, and and that's what Warren Sapp and Hardy Nickerson and these these torch bearers uh, back in the day that that's the standard that they set. It wasn't just about Sunday; it was beating the hell out of out of any team, even if it was your own team, your own offense in practice, winning on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday meant winning on Sunday. And, right. and I, I think that, that, that that's where this team is kind of heading. And that's why it excited me when I heard Jim L. Dean say it 
in Sunday night's press conference and Bruce Arians say it in Mondays for that, that reason. If you can start having dominant practices on that side of the ball, that speaks very well for yeah. this team turning a corner. Absolutely. Welcome, uh, everybody, to the show. I see some congrats going out and people saying hi. Hi, Janimal and Greg and Steve. Uh, good to see you all in the chat um, and making some noise after a big box win. If you're interested in joining these guys, jumping in the chat, please, if you're watching us, man, go over to YouTube. Watch us on YouTube. Uh, get We'd like to raise those numbers there over at YouTube, but also subscribe and, and hit that little uh, alarm button and the, that little bell in the corner and uh, get notifications for when we go live as well. I think that's Critical is we're going to be going live a lot more often, four times a week, and we're going to be bringing you all kinds of Bucks content and analysis. We're going to have awesome guests on the show too as the week uh, unfolds. And so make sure you're, yeah, YouTube, uh, Pewter Report TV, and you're subscribing and you're getting our notifications for when we're going live. Even if you watch on another platform, bump over to YouTube, subscribe over there, try to watch us over there when you can because uh, it's a it's a really quality product and and we've been able to do some really cool things um, with the show and we're going to keep doing even even cooler things, I think, as we move forward. And so uh, it should be fun stuff. Another thing that was said uh, after the game uh, that's caught my attention, you know, Jamel Dean has kind of gotten this rap since he's been with the Bucks, even though he's made very, other than that Seattle game, that first game he really played a lot in was <laughs> he hasn't really made many mistakes, yeah. but he's kind of gotten this reputation for maybe being a little bit immature or having like a little bit of a, a kiddish mentality, kind of a little bit like a young mentality a little bit. But I think, he said it this offseason to us, and it stuck with me that after that Seattle game, he he looked in the mirror and he asked himself, "Do you want to be a great player, or do you just want to be, you know, some another guy that was in the league? But do or do you want to be a great player?" He, he got embarrassed. Cool. He got yeah. embarrassed in that that Seahawks game. He yeah. wasn't prepared. Right, and he came out the the rest of the season, and he was dynamic. He was a shutdown corner. He played a terrific against Atlanta and some great receivers in two games there. I mean, he's just been he's been awesome, and he through this through six weeks of this season, he's been. Uh, an outstanding corner. I know Purple Focus has him graded as one of their best. It's hard to disagree with that sentiment, even though I know he doesn't play quite the same number of snaps as some of the other top guys. Maybe, you know, he is playing outstanding football right now. And it's his work ethic that's allowing that to happen, I think. He studies tape. What did he tell us two weeks ago against the Bears? He said, I see the alignments pre-snap. I see the formation. I think I know what's coming. I watched the quarterback's eyes and I did after the snap. And he jumped to play, almost won that game for them in the Bears game, a game that they did not play well in. He almost won it for him. He was very close to winning it for him. Then he turns the game around against the Packers, same type of thing. He says, I recognize the formation. I was pretty sure I knew it was coming as soon as the play started. I, Roger staring down Devonta Adams. He said, I got to make this play, you know, and he did, he made the play. And I think, you know, he has all the physical and athletic traits you could ever want in a corner. I mean, all of them. And he's unbelievably talented. And now he's putting it together with cerebral play and instincts and ball skills. It's the combination for a really special player, not just a, not just a solid player, but a special player. If those kind of things continue with his work ethic to me, that was one of the big takeaways from the post game uh, portion of the comments after this game. I agree. Taylor, yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've been really high, John. You know, I've been talking about Jamel Dean yeah. since you started with us. I was really high on him last season. Um, and when you look back at exactly what you were talking about, I've written about Dean a couple times. And one of the quote, what's quotes I always go back to is the week after that Seattle game, in his press conference, he said, after last week, I realized I had to prepare differently. The whole week I'm watching film, I'm going up to Coach Bowles' office, just going over film, letting him teach me the game, because honestly, I don't want to have that feeling that I had again. So yeah. we know in that, that is showing right up. That shows up on that play where he has the pick six. That shows up in Chicago, like you said. And one of the biggest things is when you look at him, 
I mean, his 40 yard dash time was in the 98th percentile for the combine. <laughs> right. His 41 inch vert yeah. was the 95th percentile. His 130 inch broad jump was in the 92nd percentile. And he's what six foot two. I mean, when you look at him, he looks like a linebacker. When we'd be open in right. open locker room and he'd come off the field yeah. in practice, he's the size of a linebacker. So when you take the things like his extreme speed, his extreme explosiveness, I think yesterday Fox showed something that he's reached over 20 miles per hour on two interception returns over the last two seasons. And I think he's the only cornerback. Correct me if I'm wrong, chat viewers, readers, but I believe he's the only cornerback to reach that speed on two returns. So we know he's explosive and we know he's fast. But one thing I know John and I looked at in the offseason is when you go up against a guy like Calvin Ridley, and you, we know he's got speed, we know he's got size, we know he's got explosiveness. But when you can stick with him, when you have the agility to stick with receivers like that on yeah. top of all of his natural traits, and then yeah. you add in things where he's starting to recognize the game and see it happen before the ball is snapped, he could be a really, really dangerous cornerback. I mean, injuries were his main problem in college, but I mean, to this point, everything looks like he is, has all the necessary tools to be a really, really dangerous defensive back in this league. Yeah, and he's he stayed healthy. And, and I mean, that's the important thing is – Dirk Cutter was famous for saying the greatest uh, ability is availability, right? And yeah. and uh, we've we've seen Sean Murphy Bunting kind of deal with some injuries, and and I think um, you know, thankfully for Jamel Dean, he's been he's been healthy, and and uh, Carlton Davis played with an an abdomen injury and came up with four pass breakups and did a phenomenal job on Devontae Adams. So uh, it's exciting to see not just these three young cornerbacks continue to grow and ascend. But also, you know, Mike Edwards, he plays just a handful of plays. But when he's in there, yeah, he's yeah. he's making things happen. And and he struggled last year as a rookie. But I tell you, he was a ball hawk at Kentucky and, and they like his ball skills. And so far, he's flashed that ability. Yeah, 52 snaps this season, I think, and two interceptions already. So not too bad for Mike Edwards. One in yeah, each that's game. That's an impact. That he's right played there. it so far. And I know that Sunday was, like I said, Taylor and I were texting about it, I think. And, he, you know, it's Carl Davis that makes that play happen. But it's, again, somebody's got to finish that play, and he makes a good catch. And that's the thing. The Bucks are just finishing way more plays this season. You know, they're getting their hands on the ball, and they're finishing. You know, we think, go back to the Bears game. You know, Carl Davis is making that interception off the tip, and, you know, he's just finding the football and he's making sure he secures it and making a play. And people don't think about how important hands are on the defensive side of yeah. the ball, but they're so, so, so important. You know, as someone who watched Ike Taylor in the Steelers drop yeah. interception after interception for yeah. ages, you know, it was, it's, you really remember, you know, how important those kind of things are. Well, it was are. so frustrating during Carlton Davis's rookie season to mm. see him literally just try to bat the ball down and not even really make an attempt to to catch the ball and listen i understand it the first rule or the first job of any defensive back is to prevent the catch that's your job but the second is to try to create a turnover if you can and it just it seemed like davis just wasn't even willing to take the risks to make that happen and and we've seen jamel dean really kind of figure it out a lot quicker right because he's in his second year carlton davis is in his third year and And, and I think that I, I think that really bodes well when you have a coach, and this is something that was talked about on the conference calls, uh, where Todd Bowles will will tell his players to turn it loose, and that's what he said after that first quarter when the Bucks were just you know trying to play catch up, and 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 they they were always like a, a step behind everything, whether it was Aaron Rodgers scrambling and making a, a throw or just a step behind in coverage. You know, you you heard from 
the players and even Bruce Arians talking about it, that Todd Bowles just went up to the guys on the sidelines and just said, hey, enough. You got the green light. Take some chances. Take some risk. Play aggressive. And uh, and and you know and, and let let this thing loose. And once once that green light was given across the board, you saw plays being made at at all three levels: the defensive line, the linebacker level, and the secondary. And and I, I really hope they continue to play this way because not only does it produce results, it's actually really fun to see. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, I think it's something that at this point in the season, we feel like with given the Bucks track record and kind of the direction that they're headed defensively under Todd Bowles, the talent that they have, I think it's pretty safe to say you can bet on this team getting better and better defensively every week with the young talent they have. What else can we bet on, Scott, and where can we do it? Well, you can bet on the Buccaneers, John. You can bet on the World Series that the Tampa Bay Rays are, are in. Yes. Uh, you, you can bet in college football, which is still going on. And we got some Pac-12 and some Big Ten action starting up real soon. So between the NFL, college football, and the, the World Series, there's nothing shortage. There's, I should say there's no shortage of games to watch with thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events. And you can turn game day into your payday at my bookie. If you're the type of guy who likes to bet the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Now, not only do parlays make meaningless games more exciting, but they're more importantly, it can turn an ordinary bet into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. You know, I love the money lines. I like to, to take a chance on the underdog and bet and sometimes to swing for the fences and I hit. And that's always fun to do. And the thing about the NFL is, you know, they're rarely underdogs. Uh, everything is kind of closely contested, but um, those are still kind of fun to bet on too. I, I like my college action when it comes to the money line, but game spreads, championship futures, player prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Here's how to do it. Sign up at my bookie. And when you use the promo code pewter, they're going to match your deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. It's a bonus that's designed to give you a little bit of help and a head start onto a winning season. That's promo code pewter on my bookie and when you use that promo code they're going to double your initial deposit stacked ufc cards presidential prop bets in all the major sports sign up today and begin your winning season exclusively at my bookie got a couple questions from the readers want to get to greg asked me to compare the steelers defense to the bucks obviously i watch steelers every week as well growing up as a steelers guy a steelers fan and covered the team for a while but I mean, I think the biggest differences right now are like in terms of confidence, team speed, athleticism, like it's, you know, both of these teams are really impressive. I think the biggest difference is right now on the defensive lines. You know, I think the Steelers have three elite players on their defensive line. One, the guy in Tyson Alualu who is out of nowhere playing at an elite level. Um, and then Bud Dupree is playing pretty close to that. So you have five guys there that I think are just complete difference makers right now. And the Bucs losing Vea makes that kind of a loss. But where the Bucs make up, Forward a little bit, I think, is on the second level. Obviously, their linebacker Tatum's outstanding. You know, even with Devin Bush in there, I think the Steelers linebacker Tatum. You know, it's a it's a good group. You know, Vince Williams has played really, really well. He's a good, really good run defender, tone setter, uh, very instinctive, smart football player. But both those guys are real liabilities in coverage most of the season. Even though Bush takes away some things with his athleticism, but neither guy has really become a star in that respect. So I think the Bucks clearly have the advantage there. And then his the secondary work gets interesting, and where I think. 
you know, it's kind of comparable, but right now the Bucks just have younger, better talent. And so, you know, the direction they're moving there, you know, is, is a good one. So I think it's definitely by the end of the season, the Bucks can definitely be the best defense in the NFL. They're already probably undisputed John, in the top John, five, right? <laughs> John, wow. they're, they're already wow. number one. You think they're number one? You think they're number one, right? I's undisputed. Statistically, one by the end of the well, no, not undisputed, but statistically, right now the Buccaneers are your number one ranked defense in the NFL, allowing just two point. I'm sorry, two hundred and eighty-two yards per game. The Steelers are number two at two hundred and eighty-five point two yards. So very, very thin margin right there. But where the Buccaneers uh, have the advantage slightly is in run defense. They're still the number one ranked run defense at sixty-four point three yards. Per game uh, allowance and the Steelers 66.2 and then when you look at Blitzburg right John yeah you're looking you're looking at at uh 24 sacks from the Pittsburgh Steelers but the Buccaneers right behind with 22 tied yeah. with the Baltimore Ravens so from a statistical standpoint they're pretty much neck and neck right now and for as as long as the Steelers have been a great dominant defense for the Buccaneers to join their company, that's saying a lot. Yeah, and the Steelers had to reverse trend because I mean, they were so good for so long, and then it was some really ugly years until last season. Out of nowhere, they became a great defense, and and you know, and this year it's been there's been up and down moments as there has been for the Bucs too. I I'm starting to think like that's just defense in today's NFL. I don't know that I don't know that it's like it was a couple years ago even, and I maybe even need to adjust that from an analysis standpoint in terms of like. They're just it's it just hard to be great defensively every single drive yeah. in today's NFL, yeah. no matter who you're playing. And so I think Ben Baldwin posted something. He does all I mean, he's the analytics guy. I love his stuff. And he posted about just how hard it is to be a consistent defense, even if you keep most of the core together, how hard it is to be so consistent year in and year out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think that, that that's why I say by the end of the season, like I think it could, you know, it, it's all about pass rush for the Bucs. You know, one thing that I, if you're wondering one thing that I might be concerned about with the defense moving forward, and obviously I think it's a top five group in the league, undisputed no matter what, but if there's one area where I think they can get God, it's that I still wonder how well they rush with four and teams that can go play action and pick up that blitz and hit open receivers in the middle of the field you know, short to intermediate a lot Mm -hmm. when they face those kinds of teams, that Rams game is definitely one to have an eye on. Um, I wonder how that's going to, how they're going to be able to handle those things. I want to see him get pressure with four a little bit more often, a little bit quicker. That's something I feel like when I'm comparing the two teams, Steelers and Bucks, that the Steelers do better, but the Bucks have done such a good job of scheming blitzes and pressures Mm -hmm. and really covering in the back end that it hasn't really mattered that much. Really hard to hit big plays on the Bucks really hard to pick big plays on the Steelers. So there's a lot of similarities between the two teams for sure. We got to keep moving though. Bucks O-line guys having a special season. And we talked about how little pressure Brady faced in this game against the Packers. Zadarius who? Like, I don't even, I mean, he wasn't even a factor in the game. Uh, you know, Preston Smith, these guys were quiet. Kenny Clark's game back quiet. Uh, and then in, in the run game, the Packers held up really well. I thought, through three quarters, you know, that 78 yards for the Bucks rushing on the first 21 carries of the game through three quarters. That includes that 25-yarder by Rojo near the end of the third quarter. And so even counting that, still only 78 yards on 21 yeah. carries. Packers are holding up fine in the run game. And then in the fourth quarter, when they knew the run was coming, and maybe they got their soul snatched a little bit before this happened. But 
the Bucks offensive line just dictated terms, 11 carries, 478 yards. So they matched their whole game output in the fourth <laughs> quarter when the Packers were loading up the box and knew the run was coming. Just a credit to those guys. They have brought a mentality. If you ask me culture change, I know you talk about Brady and Arians, and I think they're a huge part of it. I think the offensive line is a massive part of it. The Bucs just haven't had a group this tough and this physical and this nasty, and they want the game on their back at the end of the game. They want to close it out, and they've done it really well several times this season. Scott, what do you we, I, I agree with everything you said, and we have a question from Animal, who's a, a longtime Pewter Report a subscriber, probably back to the Buccaneer Magazine days. And he asks, uh, can you explain why Ryan Jensen was so upset on the sidelines? Now, I was at the game, so I didn't see the the television replay. I haven't gone back and looked at the game just yet. It's been a busy Monday. I'll do that later tonight. But uh, uh, the one thing that's happy and just looked mad. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes. <laughs> that but, could be Ryan. But the thing is, Ryan Jensen loves to play the game, and and I know that A.Q. Shipley uh, subbed in for him in the fourth quarter. Uh, Blaine Gabbert subbed in at quarterback for Tom Brady, and we even had uh, Josh Wells come in uh, for uh, for Donovan Smith. So yeah. uh, it might have been a situation where, listen, hey, when you get to the fourth quarter and you're running the ball pretty much at will, I mean, the Bucks had over 150 yards rushing the, the, uh, in, in Sunday's game against the Packers. You don't want to come out. That's fun. It's fun to start smashing on people when they've been trying to penetrate your line and pass rush. It takes a lot out of defensive linemen. So when you can start laying hats on guys and mm -hmm. driving them and, and pushing that line of scrimmage, that might have been a reason why Ryan Jensen was. And upset. he had the, he had the snap streak too. Remember, he had the he snap did. streak. That, yeah. You know, after yeah. the game, he tweeted, "Didn't care about the snap streak as long as they're going to win." So, but maybe yeah. in the moment, it was kind of a. Yeah, well, and as, as, as TV Ray thing. 13 says, Jensen's a ginger enough said, as, as we've been around Mark Cook enough to know, <laughs> uh, so, sometimes gingers, they, they take offense at little things. But um, That's but, what uh, makes him a great player, though. He plays with that edge right. all the time. Yeah, you he's, know? And so, he's got an edge. He, and he's been a huge part of that culture change. You talk about it. You know, I don't, I'm not saying Jensen's the best player on the O-line because I think Marpet and Werfs have been better yeah. this season. But in terms of the leader, and you, uh, Bruce Arian said it during training camp, like, He's the guy he took over, was the leader of the offensive line in that way. And so another just nailed it, free agent signing. Uh, that's, and, and, and Taylor, if we're, Taylor, if we're going to be fair, too, Donovan Smith had a much better game than he did oh, against mm -hmm. the Bears. I'm and glad think, one of you guys mentioned it. Yeah. yeah, I was just looking at the PFF grades, and I know we talked about that today. They're not the end-all, be-all. They're not the final discussion. But right. Donovan Smith was the fourth-highest-ranked offensive player for the Bucs yesterday. It yeah. was – Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady, Tristan Wirfs, Donovan Smith. And I talked to him about the Ryan Jensen grade, but yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. a talented player. It's just a, and again, it's it's the 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 thing with him is the consistency. Not just even from game to game, but sometimes from series to series or snap to snap. It's just yeah. you you want Donovan Smith to play at a consistently high level all the time because he has from a physical standpoint his his tools when he's on top of his game, they are Pro Bowl caliber. Yeah, I'm not saying he's a Pro Bowl caliber. Right, right, right. right. But his skill set is Pro Bowl caliber. There's a reason yeah. why he was a high second-round pick. Yeah. He was drafted ahead of, of Ali Marpetti. He was a very skilled player. Yeah. But it, it's not just all about the, the physical tools. It's the mental makeup. And part of that mental makeup is if you're going to be a champion, you got to be a champion every single down. Yeah, I think it's technical lapses more than it is effort, though. I'd like yeah. to, say, I would like to say that. I, I don't think it's necessarily. I don't think it's at least now. I'm not going to say past years or rookie or whatever, but like now. And I think this is, you know, I'm, I'm pointing to Greg's question here. If Donovan Smith had a mean streak, he'd be amazing. I don't think anybody in the organization would agree necessarily. I think that 
Donovan Smith has a mean streak. I think sometimes that's what causes his technique to fall apart. We heard Bruce Aaron say it after week one. Sometimes he winds up trying to crush everybody in the mm -hmm. run game, and yeah. his technique goes out the window. He tries to kill everybody with his punch and pass protection. I mean, he has one of the biggest pancakes you'll see all season long on tape yes. from this game. Oh he comes around on pole and demolishes yeah. demolishes Oren Burks for the Packers. So, I mean, I think he plays really hard. I think sometimes his technique goes out the window – uh, when that happens. And I'm not saying that's, I'm not saying that's necessarily like, okay. I'm just saying that I don't think the reason is necessarily effort. And I think the bucks have done a great job of molding Donovan Smith to be the best that he could possibly be. Let's put it that way. If Donovan Smith goes to Cincinnati or one of these teams that can't develop offensive linemen, he's right. a bottom tier tackle in the league. Yeah, As yeah. it is, Donovan Smith is an average tackle left starting tackle who has above average games like he did yesterday and can play at that level for periods of time and he will dip occasionally but that is still a better tackle starting tackle than a lot of teams in the nfl have it's just a reality like that's a tough position to find quality work so i don't even mind the contract because of that yes they have to evaluate things in the offseason and we'll talk about that another time but i i still think this is a i think it's a better player than fans think he is but i agree I that the, the the consistency is a problem. You're right, Scott. Like when you get into high profile matchups, you know, against big teams, and the way he started the season the last couple of years too has not helped right. the team at all. But he's gotten better as years have gone on, and I still think I, he's a better option than most guys out there. I, I just want to throw this out there, and and we're not going to know right now. You can't sit there and make this determination after one game, one week from removed from that Bears game. But you almost have to wonder, and it's something that Bears keeping an eye on to see if this team can go on a run here. And, and really, in prime time, show what they're all about. And it starts on Sunday night out there in Las Vegas. But is that Bears game on Thursday night, that loss that was just disgusting yeah. from an offense and defensive standpoint, was that the watershed moment for this Bruce Arians 2020 Buccaneer team where they all looked at themselves and said, how did we lose this game? Right. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and so we'll have to see how the season plays out. But it might be a thing where – it's not so much the Packers game because this was the bounce back to turnaround game, but the turnaround might have actually happened on that flight home late yeah. Thursday night from Chicago, right. uh, where where these players knew that they finally, you know, had to stop beating themselves like they did with eleven or ten or eleven penalties for hundred and whatever yards, and and the, the turnovers and and just you know blowing it with with the sacks allowed, et cetera. Yeah, and it, it was just a much much better performance complete right. 180 from what we saw in thursday night's game against the bears and we'll have to see if that bears game ends up being the turnaround moment for this this buccaneer team and it's right. really kind yeah. of funny how highly we talk about the bucks because even yesterday watching the broadcast considering we're so limited with our access scott's the only one in the press box we're relegated watching it from the broadcast but even they were like when was the last time i can't remember who said it maybe joe buck maybe his uh partner but said, when was the last time you watched the Bucks thoroughly dominate a quality opponent? Yeah. When was the last time you saw it? Because they had both of them sat there and they went, <laughs> I can't remember. I mean, you've seen the Bucks yeah. beat good teams. Back in that Dirt Cutter 9-7 and seven team, they beat a good right. Seahawks team. They beat a good Chiefs team. The Bucks did not just beat the Packers. The undefeated Packers had not committed a turnover coming into the game. They were yeah. averaging 150 rushing yards. They had the highest scoring offense in the league. Aaron Rodgers was, what, 13-0 touchdown interceptions coming in, and they thoroughly dismantled that entire team. Aaron yeah. Rodgers drove straight down the field. They bent. They didn't break, and they allowed three points. They yeah. punted. The Packers got the ball. They went straight down the field, 11 plays, 80 yards, 
punched it in. And then the it. Bucks. They didn't cross midfield. They didn't cross midfield the rest of the game. I don't think they crossed midfield. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the thing is, there's been some really quality wins, like like that Seahawks game a couple years ago under Dirk Cutter. But Scott might be stuck. Yeah, Scott, I believe he's stuck. Scott stuck, but we're going to keep rolling uh, here on the podcast, dealing with those technical problems as we always are. One of the things that. Scott has talked a lot about actually, Taylor. Actually, before I'll let him touch on that point when he comes back. But the point that you wanted to talk about and bring up, Taylor, was the linebackers. Uh, you know, the linebackers and the fact that they've been able to create so much pressure with this group of linebackers has just been amazing to watch. I mean, it's something that you know, you Vea goes out, you're like wondering where's that interior pressure going to come from, and here they are, you know, with these linebackers bringing pressure a lot, and uh, maybe it catches up with them eventually, but. It's something right now that clearly Taylor is is working for this team and and Devin White and Levante David are having a field day with it. Yeah, I mean, they were phenomenal with it. And what I think one thing that obviously opens up them to be so good is, two, we know they're phenomenal players. We know that Devin White and Levante David are both fast, really athletic. You know, even, you know, and even I, we've see, talked about Devin White with his struggles in coverage, but we've seen for years what Levante David is. And we know Devin White, when going in one direction and going to make a play, we saw it immediately when he hit Aaron Jones for a tackle for loss, how good of a player he can be in that role. Now, another thing is Todd Bowles is going to bring blitzes from every direction. So it's really hard to exactly predict. And Aaron Rodgers, or whatever quarterback it is, has to make the right read at the line, has to slide the protections, has to adjust. So when you're mixing things up and you take something that they are already good at, and that's attacking the passer, and then you put them in situations where it makes it easier by sending Sean Murphy off, bunting off the edge one play, sending Antoine Winfield off the edge on one play, rushing just three one play and dropping Jason Pierre-Paul or Shaq Barrett into coverage. I really disagree with how often Bowles is doing that this season. But the fact of the matter is he mixes up so many fronts and so many looks, and we've seen so many packages from that front seven. And then they were phenomenal yesterday. I think they combined for like three sacks, four QB hits. They just had a good day. And Bruce Arians mentioned how good they had been um, after the game yesterday. But he also said when you have two rushers like Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett, it's really hard to send them after the passer as frequently as you'd maybe like to. But he just said, we have four phenomenal linebackers that can rush the passer. And I think the two inside guys really, really had a good day doing it yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. And Scott, one thing that you've talked about, as Taylor mentions, the linebackers bringing pressure. One thing that you've mentioned with this team is establishing a culture of winning at home, now undefeated at home this season. I know it feels weird because it's not really the quote-unquote advantage that you get in a normal season with fans. Right. Rob Gronkowski talking about the atmosphere was so great and he could feel it mm-hmm. for the first time. You know, he scores a touchdown and, you know, that stuff matters to fa- to players and it contributes certainly to the energy level on the field. And as you get, hopefully, you know, COVID continues, or we continue to get a little bit more uh, guidelines in terms of how to best do this and get fans in there safely. Um, that might be something that returns, but so far been – a pretty dominant home field uh, performance for the Bucks this season. It's a far cry from from where this this Buccaneer team, uh, you know, has been over the past decade. It used to be, I mean, and let's talk about it. Like honestly, this is the house that Warren sat built, uh, and and I saw Warren in the press box yesterday. We we did like a little fist dab um, because it's fun to watch the defense play like this. I'm a defensive minded guy, so. Uh, but yeah, Ray J. I mean, when when Ray J. was rocking back in in the '90s and the 2000s, it was a uh, hostile environment for teams to come in. 
and and obviously fans want to see a winner. And you know, you you would certainly have the Packers, the Bears, but back when this team was was in the big sombrero, you would have the invasion from from the Norse division where you would have uh, Chicago and Green Bay fans come down in droves. We're talking, John and Taylor, you, you're a young kid, but 25, 30,000 strong where they literally outnumbered in some games the Buccaneer fans. And, and Ray J is a smaller venue, not 78,000, but it's 66 when it's full. And, and I think that, that this team, uh, it's a shame that COVID happens this year, right? Because I think right. Ray J would be sold out with oh, Tom yeah, Brady. Right, yeah. it, it would be. And, and now the good news is even without fans there or with few fans in attendance, they're laying the foundation for that dominant uh, home environment. And, and they're off to a good start. There's still plenty of tough games to play, right? You've got uh, you got the, the LA Rams coming to town for Monday Night Football. You've got uh, the rematch with the Saints this time in the Bucks turf. You got the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, the defending Super yeah, Bowl Patrick champions, Mahomes. you know, Absolutely. coming as well. So I'm not going to, you know, I went out on a limb, I guess you could say, and said that they're going to have at least five wins, but they could have six, seven home wins uh, because they've showed they can beat a, a playoff caliber team like Green Bay. Uh, I'm not going to sit there and automatically write the Bucks off against the Chiefs or the Rams or even the Saints if they can play like they played yesterday against the Packers. But then you've got other teams, a couple of one and five teams coming in, in December in Minnesota after the bye week and then the Falcons. So, yeah, I think this team can win at least five games. And what that would mean is the first home winning record since John Gruden's final year in 2008. Now, the, here's the crazy thing. The Buccaneers that year, which was Gruden's last year, they went 9-7. and seven. They were 6-0 and at home, 6-0, and until they lost their last two home games of the year. I believe it was, uh, it was Oakland, and then I want to say it was the San Diego Chargers. They lost both of those games. They finished 6-2 and two at home, but unfortunately 9-7 and seven didn't get them in the playoffs that year, and John Gruden was fired. But you have to go back that far to have a winning record at home. There was a couple of four and four seasons at home under Dirk Cutter. But uh, as Bruce Arians said today in the conference call, the objective for every NFL team is to go perfect at home. That's eight wins. And then split your road games. And that's yeah. 12 and four. And that's, that'll get you in the playoffs every time, at, at least as a wild card. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the people, some of the people that you can go and probably chat a little Bucks history with and a little Bucks football with is our friends over at Briar Greaves, right, Scott? You got to give them a call, talk to them at some point, right? Yes, I was going to today, and I talked about that. But guys, this was <laughs> this was a victory Monday. We've That's been right. busy at PewterReport.com. Oh, so yes. uh, I, I am I'm procrastinating, but with a good reason. We got to provide great content for you, Buccaneer fans out there that come visit us on PewterReport.com, and for joining us here on the Peter Report podcast. Uh, it rained here today. I don't know if you guys uh, had had storms uh, roll through where where you're at, mm -hmm. but uh, here in Wesley Chapel. We had a hellacious storm roll through for about an hour. And that's a good reminder. The storm season is still here through the end of the month. Don't wait to have your insurance policies. Um, you know, Make sure you get them re reviewed. Don't wait. Because what's happening with me right now is, uh, I'm not going to name the company, but 
um, they've decided not to renew my policy unless I do a couple of things around my house. My house is in great condition. And I think they're being really nitpicky. But this is the kind of stuff that Briar Graves talks about. A lot of homeowner companies are simply canceling or not renewing policies, or those companies are leaving Florida, or they're increasing premiums significantly. So call Briar Greaves like I'm about to and speak directly with Briar or Sam for a personalized touch and for information on the best rates. Call Briar Greaves Insurance. This is a family-owned company that served the greater Tampa Bay area for over 30 years for home, auto, boat, life, commercial, and flood insurance needs. The folks at Briar Greaves, as you've heard Mark Cook talk about on the Pewter Report podcast, they're big Bucks fans, and they're proud sponsors of the Pewter Report podcast here on pewterreport.com. So visit briargreavesinsurance.com or give them a call, 813-876-4166. That's 813-876-4166 today. And be sure to tell them that the Pewter Report sent you. Yeah, good stuff. Last thing we got to talk about, guys, as we wrap up this podcast is where should the Bucks rank in the NFC? And I know it's only week six and we've got a long way to go and a lot's going to happen. But if you look across this NFC, guys, you see a couple teams with a lot of potential and a lot of promise and a couple teams with great offenses, although Green Bay didn't look like it the other day. You know they've got a great offense. Their schedule is pretty much cake. The NFC North is – I know the Bears are 5-1, and one, but I don't think it's that tough. I think they're going to get a couple against the Lions and a couple against the Vikings this year, and they're probably going to get the Bears. Uh, I think I don't think they've played them yet, so they're probably going to get them twice, if I had to guess. And so Packers still have a great chance of getting the one seed. But if the Bucs just whoop them, even if the Bucs have a worse record, do we really yeah. think the Bucs are worse than Green Bay? And if you look across the, the conference, not many teams with a good defense. The Packers certainly don't have one. Seattle certainly hasn't had one. New Orleans certainly hasn't had one. The Rams have shown some good defensive things at times. I think we still – juries out a lot of their players are playing for the first time, and so credit to them for putting together a great scheme so far, but it's still – Somewhat of a question how much they can sustain that, I think. But really, you look across the rest of the NFC, guys, yeah. there's not any other good de- – the East is a disaster. You know, where are the good defenses in this in this conference? And I know that's not everything, but the Bucs happen to have pretty great defense and a pretty good offense. And so I think you have to feel really good about their chances to potentially win this conference eventually. Taylor, let me set the table real quick, and I'll get your comments here. What we're talking about in the NFC is the Seahawks right now are, are undefeated at 5-0. Yeah. and oh. Chicago is next at five and one. Uh, you've got the Packers at four and one because they they had an early bye week. Then you've got the Buccaneers and the Rams at four and two. So that's the upper echelon right there of the the NFC. A couple of teams maybe knocking on the door. Arizona is at three and two. The Saints are three and two, and we'll see how they end up faring. But one of the things that I look at is the point differentials, right? And the Buccaneers right now. 177 points. That's the most points scored in the NFL this year, I believe, as I'm scanning this. Or at least I should say in the NFC. I'm only looking at the NFC. More than Seattle. More than Seattle. 169 points for Seattle. Um, And then, interestingly enough, when you look at at the points allowed, the Buccaneers – uh, have 122. Well, where does that that you know rank? Well, the the Rams defense is allowed 114. The Bears defense is allowed 116. But you look at the point differential. That's that's how explosive the offense is in terms of point production, and then how how dominant the defense is. And right now in the NFC, the Buccaneers have the best differential in terms of the net points, which is 55. So they've scored 55 more points than they've given up. The next closest team in that cluster is Seattle at 34, 
followed by, uh, or I should say the Rams at 38, followed by Seattle at 34, then the Cardinals at 26, then the Packers at 23, and then the Bears at 12. And we all we all have talked about the Bears, have to give them some credit and some legitimacy. They're, they are 5-1. and one. They sure. found a way to win. Good defense, for sure. But they're e- eking it out with their yeah. good defense, and, and, and you're seeing that in a really tight differential. They've only scored 12 more points than they've allowed this year. Right. Yeah. I, to me, I think you have to beat the Saints for us to say it, uh, for us to say that this is a team. You know, not only because I think you have to win your division to be in that conversation, right? And I agree. You know, yeah. When that happens, then I think the Bucs will be the favorite to win the division. Until it happens, I don't think I don't think they will be. I know the Saints have struggled, no doubt, but the Saints have a terrific scheme. They have too much talent both sides of the ball, I think. Um, you know, not not more than the Bucs. The Bucs are, if you ask me, just to tell you, like, which is the better team on paper, the Bucs are the better team than the Saints on paper. I would have told you that week one. Even though I thought they would lose, I thought it would take some time to get to the point where that pl- that talent manifests itself on the field. But I think on paper, the Bucs are the best team in the NFC. They're better than the Saints. I think they're the best team in the NFC. The, the But getting to play like that at that level consistently, that's where I hesitate to, 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 um, to put them on that mantle. Because to me, it's not about necessarily just how good you are but it's about obviously i think the consistency in the culture if this were the patriots or you know a team that had a consistent culture of winning that you knew you could trust all levels of it to continue the, the same level of play we saw on sunday you would be easy conversation as it is they're in that conversation absolutely i don't think you can say right now who the clear-cut best team in the nfc is i mean maybe you have to give it to seattle because they're undefeated but guys you know seattle seattle's beating atlanta 38 25 New England, who is a losing record now, and they've looked terrible for a couple of weeks now, 35 yeah. to 30. The Packers or the Cowboys, 38 to 31. The Dolphins, barely, again, 31 to 23. And uh, that was a late game stop, I think, on a Dolphins drive. And then the Seahawks, 27 to 26, and what, like the last play of the game? And, or sorry, the Vikings on the last play of the game. Yeah. So this yeah. is a team that just hasn't beaten anyone yet. I mean, I don't know if any of those teams are making the playoffs. You know, maybe the Cowboys and Patriots, but it'll be by default, you know, that seven spot and the NFC East being weak. I mean, they, they haven't played anybody good, and they might not for a while either So because their schedule is very easy. So I just think that uh, the Bucs have a really good chance if they can put together some consistent games, win the next two weeks, and I don't care what any other team in the league does, to be honest. I think this will be the best team in the NFL at the or in the NFC at the midseason point if they can win the next two weeks. Taylor, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. I think coming into the season, we kind of had the class of the uh, conference would be Seattle and New Orleans. We've seen New Orleans uh, uh, stumble a little bit. You just made your comments about Seattle's uh, about Seattle's schedule so far. We just saw the Bucks, like I said, dismantle the Packers, who I thought. Last year, I did not think they were a very real 13-3. and This year, I think that with the way their offense has been performing and the way their defense has been good enough to win, we're absolutely a phenomenal team. The Bucs would go in there and win, them, win that game, let alone dominate it. So I think the Bucs have to be up there in those top four teams with the Saints, with the Seahawks, with the uh, Green Bay Packers. But again, it's doing it consistently because mm-hmm. we've been. We, it's been up and down. And just a week ago, we were watching them absolutely shoot themselves in the foot against Chicago and 15 minutes into yesterday's game fans were calling for the coaching staff's head and saying this team is fraudulent before they went on to explode for 38 consecutive well, points. Th- that's so, that's some bucks fans though. I'm not saying all bucks fans. I'm not saying that, all bucks fans are. But that's that that's some. That was in the conversation. And if the Seahawks right. went out on Sunday and had a bad game because they've had a string of success that goes back 6 7 years. Right. 
Packers have a couple years in the, their belt. The the Saints have been the class of this division for the last decade. If they go well, out, the battle, last three years for sure. I don't know that decade, but sure, up and down the last you know seven eight. But yeah, I think consistency will be key. But I don't think there's any reason why right now we can't look at the Bucks like one of those top three or four teams in the conference. Yeah, well, they proved that in this win. I think. It, speaking of looking, we're going to be taking a look ahead to the Bucks. Versus the Raiders and Chucky, former Bucks head coach John Gruden, now coaching the Raiders out there three yeah. and two with the big upset over the Chiefs at Arrowhead, which is very hard place to win. I know that growing up in Kansas City, um, but they had a bye week. So we're going to talk about that exclusively on Wednesday with our next podcast, John. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if they lose that game, we'll be having this. We'll be, man, I can't believe we we're talking about the Bucks, you know, this <laughs> and that. And I, that's how it goes. That's the NFL. But, you know, and we have these conversations in a lot of ways and a lot of times, you know, because they're worth having, not because we can see into the future, you know, but it's fun to football's fun and it's fun to talk about these kinds of things. It doesn't have to be kind of an end all be all for the thing. Right. Get it out. Yeah. As, um, as, as Tom Brady would say, four o'clock. That's what he's trying to say. I mean, it, 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 people thought that he didn't know what down it was. No, he was simply promoting the next Peter Report podcast, yeah. which is at four, four o'clock Eastern time on Wednesday. That's right. That's right. Brady knows. And, uh, and yeah, so we'll be talking about that at 4 p.m. Uh, on Wednesday will be our next podcast. Then we'll be back with another one on Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern as well. So just, yeah, make a little mark on that calendar and that daily schedule, um, you know, and, and we'll talk Bucks uh, football all those days. So Wednesday, Thursday, 4 p.m. We'll be back with more on the podcast, fun stuff. Always a good time talking on a Bucks victory Monday, breaking down the win and seeing how this team uh, can continue to sustain this level of success moving forward. That's something that should be music to Bucks fans' ears. So for myself, John Ledyard, along with Scott Reynolds, Taylor Jenkins, so long, and thanks so much for joining us on another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Out. 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 <laughs>